Okay, <clears throat> so that's the name of the lecture, Why Spelling Matters. The, the lecture is actually called Nominal Isomers. And isomers stands for incorrect spellings of memory. Well, you can read that yourself. <clears throat> and if you think about it, an isomer is an alternative form of a molecule. So these are alternative forms of words. They're isomers. And what this lecture actually is, it's about variants in the spellings of names of medicines in PubMed. I've put my colleague Robin Ferner up there because he and I have worked very closely together on this work. And it culminated in this paper in the BMJ, uh, in the Christmas issue, actually. We sent, the, sent it to them last February. They accepted it within a few weeks and said, can we put it in the Christmas issue? I don't know whether that was a compliment or not, actually. But anyway, that's where it ended up. <clears throat> and you can see it's got the same name as I've, uh, the two names put together that I've shown you. Now... As you may have gathered, I come from Glasgow, and in Glasgow, this is the way people speak. You'll see this, a set of graffiti on the wall. Girls are great! <laughs> Underneath, somebody writes, somebody from England, obviously, surely you mean girls. And somebody else has written underneath that, what about us girls? <laughs> so spelling can be important. I haven't ever met any girls, but pre presumably they exist. Now, in 1990, I've been interested in this problem for quite a long time. In 1996, I wrote this filler in the BMJ, November 96. <clears throat> I've been writing fillers in the BMJ since the early 90s, I think, over 20 years anyway. They've stopped now because of the print version, but I still do a weekly blog on medical etymology. And this is just one sentence or one phrase, one clause from that filler, pointing out that the incorrect spelling gentamicin with a Y occurred in 10.5% of papers. This is from a PubMed search during that period. And in 8.7% in that period. So it was getting better, but still quite commonly, this name of a drug was misspelt. Most drugs that end in mycin that our antibiotics are spelt with a Y. Clarithromycin, erythromycin, they're, they're all spelt with a Y. Gentamicin and two or three others are an exception because they don't come from living organisms. And so they're spelt with an I here instead of the Y. But people don't know that and they misspell it. We'll come back to gentamicin later on. A month later, by coincidence, this paper appeared, misspelling and medicine, Medline rather, from Ray and Vermeulen, who are Canadian. Don't know what they know about English spelling, but there you are. And what they did was to look at 10 commonly used medical terms, and they introduced deliberate misspellings and looked for them on Medline. This is the list, I don't know if you can see it, but they, they tried angima with an M instead of an N, cholesterol without the E, myocardial infraction. That sounds much more like a heart attack than myocardial infarction, I think. Myocardial infraction, really breaking up. <clears throat> and you can see they found some misspellings. Not a lot, actually. Not a lot, but some. And they said, 
we may have underestimated the number, that which is probably true, because they'd only tried one misspelling of each variant. And they said researchers need to be aware of mis uh, to need to be, be to beware of misspelt text words within Medline. Uh, I looked up this paper recently in Google Scholar to see how many times it had been cited. 16 times in all, that's all. It hasn't really been noticed very much. Actually, it's only 15. And you'll see why in a little, t little while. Now, here's another paper that we discovered while we were doing this research. It comes from a journal that you can see is not on my regular reading list, nor, I suspect, on the reading lists of anybody in the room, the Bahrain Medical Bulletin. It comes from Mike Clark, who used to head up the Oxford-Cochrane collaboration, and they called their paper Cracking Up, because what they found was that the word random had formed cracks in it, in Embase and Medline. And what they noticed was that the M in the word randomized had become RN, randornized. I don't know if you can even see the difference at that distance. It's very subtle. Where the R and the N together look like an M. You have to look quite closely to see it. In another case, they found that random had been split. So they looked in Embase and Medline for such instances, and they found some 64 records. Again, it's not very many. Not a big problem, one would think, which is perhaps why it was published in the Bahrain Medical Bulletin rather than the BMJ. I did a search just the other day for this. Again, you probably can't tell that that's randorn and that's random. But I looked for the text word in, uh, instances of these two spellings, and I looked for that one where that one didn't exist. And there are only three cases. And one of them's from 1934. So this isn't a big problem. And if you search for random, you'd only miss these two, really. <clears throat> so not a, not a major problem. So what is the problem? Oh, and here we are. I looked for this one on uh, Google Scholar. It's been cited twice. Actually, not twice. Because we cited it once. And our paper has been counted twice in Google Scholar, which explains why the earlier paper was cited only 15 and not 16 times, because we cited it and we are counted twice. I don't know how often that happens in Google Scholar. But you do see, if you go onto Google Scholar and look at your own citations, which I hope you all do, you'll see that sometimes they go down as well as going up. It's like the finance markets. And I don't know why they're going down, but I suspect it's because duplicates are being eliminated. That's why they sometimes go down. And one paper has cited our paper in the Christmas issue, and it's in an obscure, a rather obscure German journal, the Münchner Medizinische Wochenschrift, under the title Schreibfehler machen Studien unsichtbar, which translated means writing errors make studies not unsightly, as you might think, but invisible. So they're saying that our study shows that you may miss studies by not misspelling. And that's what I'm going to show you. So we thought that it was worth looking at this in greater detail in relation to drug names. 
because nobody had looked at drug names specifically before. And drug names are often misspelt in our experience. So we started out with some definitions. And we have three definitions. The first is the standard name of a medicine. What is the standard name? Well, we chose the international non-proprietary name as approved by the World Health Organization. This has been working since 1953. Every me well, not every medicine, but most medicines have approved names that are internationally approved by the WHO. In the UK, we use these international names. But sometimes drugs do not have international names, and in that case, we use the British approved names. For example, acetylsalicylic acid is the British approved name for the drug that everybody calls aspirin. But it doesn't have an international name because its proper name is just a chemical name, and chemical names aren't given special genetic names by the WHO. So glycerol trinitrate, which is a chemical name, acetylsalicylic acid, a chemical name, these do not have international names, but they do have British approved names. So that's the standard name. Then we defined a variant name. And a variant name is any name that deviates in spelling from the standard name. Provided that deviation is not itself a standard name in some other nomenclature. For example, the United States adopted names. And there's an example here. Thimerosal is the United States adopted name. Thiomersal, which transposes the O, is the international name. And I'll show you data on that later, but we didn't include that because these are not true misspellings. Okay, but variant names are any names that are misspellings that don't occur in other nomenclatures. And then we defined a hidden reference variant as any of these variants that you wouldn't identify by looking for the standard name. It's hidden in the database because it is only indexed under the variant spelling. Now you might think that the databases would cross-reference. If you misspell the name of a drug throughout your paper, you'd think that they'd cross-reference it to the correct spelling, but it turns out that they don't. And there are many papers in PubMed and in Medline as well, which we've only searched briefly, in which that happens. So we decided to test a range of drug names. And we asked the pharmacists in Birmingham, where Robin Ferner, my colleague, comes from, he's a professor of clinical pharmacology, for a list of 30 drug names that were commonly misspelt on prescription charts in the hospitals there. And that's the list of names they gave us. And for comparison, we asked them for a list of 30 names chosen at random from the formulary. And they did that too. So we had 60 drug names to look at, 30 that we knew were commonly misspelt, 30 that we thought were probably not as commonly misspelt. And we then looked for variants on those names, spelling variants. And this is how we did it. First of all, we introduced substitutions. One of the commonest substitutions is I for Y and vice versa. And I'll show you a good example of that in a little while. Sometimes 
uh, a word contains an unaccented vowel, and that might be replaced by another vowel. Or you might exchange a soft C and an S, or a hard C and a K. F and PH, M and N, X and KS. We didn't actually find any of these, I think, but we looked for them. But M and N, not uncommon. F and PH is interesting because the, the international spelling is supposed to use only Fs because in many languages they don't have the PH sounding like an F. But actually, when you look at all the international names, a lot of them have PH in them nonetheless. Then we tried omissions. Sertralin, missing out the final E, or Sertalin, missing out the R. Propranolol, this is a common one. People often talk about propanolol because they can't say propranolol. Or they may say popranolol less commonly, but propanolol is not uncommon, certainly in diction. <coughs> Addition, well, you can add an E if the drug name ends in IN. You can take it away from INE or you can add it to the IN. And this is an interesting one Cotrimoxazole, which is a British approved name. There is no international non proprietary name for this combination of two medicines. In the same formulation, it's called co-combination, trime, trimethoprim, oxazole, sulfamethoxazole, a sulfonamide, also known as septrin. It could be confused as clotrimoxazole with an extra L. Now, why that might that be? Well, there is a drug called clotrimazole, which is not very different from clotrimoxazole, and you might get confused. You might call clotrimazole cotrimazole, and you might call cotrimoxazole clotrimoxazole. These are very likely errors through confusion, not simply of the spelling of the name, but with another drug entirely. Transposition, furosemide goes to fruosemide, or filgrastim goes to filgastrim. might think it was something to do with the stomach. In fact, it's a drug that stimulates, stimulates white cell production. And finally, duplication and deduplication, typically L's and N's, T's as well, and other letters can be duplicated or deduplicated, depending on which is the correct version. And of course, you could have any combinations of those. And there are a couple of examples. So we went systematically through the 60 drug names, generating variants in this way, as many as we could think of. And we then looked for them as follows. Do we search for the standard name as a text word in PubMed? We searched for the variant spelling that we had generated as a text word, excluding the standard name. In other words, we were looking for papers that were indexed only by the misspelling and were not available by searching for the standard name. If you search for the standard name, you would miss papers that were indexed under the variant name. And here's an example. Mirtazapine, which is an antidepressant, or supposed to be, that's the correct spelling, two A's. But it's not infrequently misspelled with an E. See, this is a, a weak vowel, mirtazapine. It's not a mirtazapine, it's mirtazapine you'd pronounce it. It's pronounced weakly. So you can replace that with another vowel quite easily, mirtazapine could be an E as well as an A. 
So we searched for mirtazepine, not mirtazapine. I chose this example because it happens that my colleague Robin Ferner, to his embarrassment, <laughs> published a paper in which the drug name is consistently misspelled. And this is what I found, this is what we found. Here's mirtazapine, the correct spelling. 1858 hits when I searched. Mirtazepine, the variant, 38 hits. But when you look for mirtazepine, not mirtazepine, you still get 21 hits. In other words, if you did not search for both of these, you would miss 21 papers. Doesn't sound a lot. And there's the missing 17 between these two, which you get by searching for mirtazepine and mirtazepine, the junk conjunction of the two circles in the Venn diagram. So what about those 21? Well, there's the standard name, variant name, and hidden variant. There they are. This is, I'm going to show you pictures that look like this. 1858 from mirtazepine. 21, 38 from mirtazepine. But the conjunction is 17, and these 21 would be missed. And importantly, they include seven reviews of which two are systematic reviews. So you would miss two systematic reviews by not searching for the misspelt name. I have the impression, and I haven't looked at this carefully, that in these Venn diagrams, this number, the smaller number, compared with that one, contains a higher proportion of systematic reviews than the bigger number, which seems strange. But that's something to explore perhaps more thoroughly. That's the impression I have. <coughs> now, how do you spell amitriptyline? Is anybody familiar with amitriptyline? Any prescribers here? Is that the right spelling? I tell you I spelled it wrong. It's a tough one, because it has I-I-Y. If you're from the northeast, you might say Y-I-I, but this has I-I-Y. And each of those can be substituted by a Y or an I. So if there are two possibilities there, two there and two there, that's two, four, eight possibilities for wrong spellings. That's seven, actually, because one is correct, just by changing the I's and Y's. But there's more to it than that. Here are the IY versions, all eight of them, of which that is the correct one. But you could miss the final E, and you can duplicate the L. So there are another four possibilities times eight, 32 variants of which 31 are incorrect. And this shows the number of hits <coughs> that you get when you look for all these variants. The total is 30, 141, 1 and 4, so that's 172, 176, which is about 2% of the total. Oh, and there's also amitiptyline, which misses the R, just for a little bit of extra variation. So 2% of all 
amitriptyline hits will be missed unless you put in all of these misspellings. Well, not all of them. Some of them give you no results, but 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. I thought, thought there were 17. 16 or 17 variants need to be entered to get a full set of hits. It's quite striking, really. And it makes you want to give up doing <laughs> systematic reviews of drug names. Uh, interestingly, this uh, paper found its way into the American Chemical Society journal. And whoever wrote the piece about it generated this word cloud showing the frequencies of the misspellings, which is quite amusing. I hadn't thought of doing that. I thought that was a very nice idea. So when we looked at all the names, we have 30 test names, 30 controls. There are the numbers of hits we got in total using the standard names. 300,000 from the test set, 460,000 from the controls. The hidden reference variants of the test set were 1.2%. The hidden reference variants of the control set only 0.15%. This is a highly significant difference, as you'll realize. I mean, it's off the scale, really. So this confirms that these names are commonly misspelled, not just on hospital prescriptions, but in the world literature as well, much more commonly than the controls that we just picked at random from the whole formulary. And I'll come back to that comparison later. What kinds of changes were most common? Well, substitutions, 45%, and omissions, 28%. So that's about 75% of all the variants were either due to substitutions, mostly single substitutions, or omissions. The rest, bits and pieces. Those are the two most important variants that you need to look out for, for, to search for. From this, we developed what we called a variant index score. We counted up the number of letters in the name, number of syllables in the name, number of unaccented vowels, adding one in case there was none in a particular name, number of I's and Y's and so on. And we added these two because these were common errors with the IN or INE and the mycin, of which there are a lot of names. And so we added up all the scores for all the drugs, and there's huge variation, as you'd expect. But there is a difference. It's moderately significant. And I guess this is the range that if you found a score greater than about 1,500, for any drug name, then you'd suspect that it was likely that trouble would be brewing for that name in, in the index, in the database. But I don't think that's hugely useful. It was just an exercise we went through. But I think if you did it, if you scored any name and found it more than 1,500, say, you might think that there was trouble, potential trouble. Here are the current gentamicin data, 1,218 hidden variants that you would not detect if you just looked for the correct spelling. 1,218 papers. That's now f just over 4% of the total. So it's less than it was when I did my earlier study in 1996, but it's still considerable. And it includes six systematic reviews that you would miss 
by failing to look for the misspelt name. And there are four here, I could have done it for the whole lot, but these were the most egregious examples, where hidden variants were systematic reviews. And with these four drugs, you would have missed 19 systematic reviews of the literature by failing to look for the hidden spelling variants. So there's quite a lot of potential for drug names to miss literature that has been published and worth looking at. Now, what about some other names? <coughs> this is not a spelling error. This is a variant spelling. So I wondered how many variant spellings there were, and I haven't studied these in great detail. These are some examples. This drug, amoxicillin, it's a member of the penicillin class, used to be spelt with a Y. But when Britain moved over to the international non-proprietary names, it adopted the international non-proprietary name, which has an I in it, because the WHO doesn't like the letter Y generally because of cross-language problems. So now we spell amoxicillin with an I. But of course, some people still spell it with a Y. This is the old spelling. And there may be old literature, of course, that you might be interested in. And you can see that you miss about 1,100 papers by not searching for amoxicillin with a Y. 125 of those are reviews. That's over 10%, nearly 11%. Whereas here, it's only about, what, 4%, something like that? I can't, what is it? No, it's 2%. It's 2%. So again, this supports my impression that the variant spellings throw up more reviews proportionately than the correct spellings, which does seem very odd, but that does seem to come out of, the, out of these analyses. As I say, I haven't investigated that formally, and that's out of 18,000 papers or hits. Now, here's the example I showed you before, which is thimerosal, the American spelling, and thiomersal, the international spelling, you can see everybody spells this drug pretty much using the American spelling. But there is a small literature in which the international spelling is used, and you'd miss 125 papers if you didn't search for it. This is an interesting one. Methylene blue. Because the international name for methylene blue is methylthioninium. I don't know anybody who calls this drug methylthioninium. Everybody calls it methylene blue. It's what we've always known it as. And you can see that in the literature, hardly anybody refers to it as methylthioninium. Only 50 papers in all out of this total of nearly 16,000. It's, it's trivial. But look again, four reviews out of this 25 compared with about, what, 500, about a third roughly, just under a third. So again, we see this pattern. It appears that the, the name that is less well used has more reviews in it, which is very odd. But here, the less well used name is the international name, and that's odd too. 
Now, I thought I wondered about trade names. I was talking to Kamal about this today, and I thought, what about trade names? I haven't explored these in great detail, but trade names are generally easier than the international non-proprietary names of drugs. They're created by drug companies to be easy to remember, and I doubt if there are many variants to find. I only search for one. I have searched for others before, but this is the one I decided to search for today, Penbritin, which is a proprietary formulation of, a, of an ampicillin-type drug. I only found 26 hits in all. Generally, drugs are indexed according to their, their generic name rather than their brand name, so that's not surprising. I found no variants at all. What variants did I look for? Well, I looked for Penbritin. I looked for Prenbitin. So a substitution of a weak vowel, a translocation here. I looked for Penbritin, an IY, and another IY. And then I got rather desperate, and I searched for Penbritin. <laughs> and I got even more desperate, and, <laughs> and I, found no, I found no variants whatsoever. So I think probably, and as I say, I haven't done this thoroughly, but I think probably that brand names are relatively free of this problem, partly because they don't occur very much anyway, and partly because they're easy and well-known. Now, here's cholesterol. This is the one that was uh, the, in the top two in that early paper that I showed you from the BMJ in 1996. And you can see cholesterol without the E, it's trivial. There's hardly any misspellings. And when you look at that list that those people, Vermoylen and Ray, generated, there's hardly any misspellings of these common words. This is a problem, 0.01% in all. You're not going to miss very much by not misspelling these other names. It's drug names that are the problem. Nothing else, probably. <coughs> now... Uh, this is an interesting quote. Anybody know who said that? Who wrote that? It's 19th century. It's the usual suspect. Everybody always, if they don't know who said anything, they say, oh, it was Oscar who said it. Absolutely. It's the usual suspect for the 19th century. It's either Oscar Wilde or Mark Twain. This is Oscar Wilde. It's from a story called The Canterville Ghost. Short story. It's not well known. But this idea of Wilde's has been rephrased by others. In, and the more, the more common formulation is this, which is the, the idea that England and America are two countries separated by a common or the same language. Anybody know who, to whom this is attributed? Now a 20th century usual suspect. Not Mark Twain, no. Could have been. Uh, Churchill said it, but later. Roosevelt. Not Roosevelt, no, a British, actually an Irish author. George Bernard Shaw. It's attributed to him, but it's not found anywhere in his writings. So whether he said it or not is not clear. But, yes, Churchill said it later. Um, Dylan Thomas has said it or written it. Bertrand Russell said it. Lots of people have said it. And this is the man who contributed to the differences in American spelling. 
Noah Webster, the famous lexicographer whose name is now associated with all or many American dictionaries, usually under the brand name Merriam-Webster. He started it all, 1828. This is the title page of his American Dictionary of the English Language. And Webster was very keen to distinguish American English from British English. And one of the things he did was to change the spellings. So he spelt humor, color as O-R instead of O-U-R. He spelt theater and center with an E-R at the end instead of R-E. And he spent an, spelt anemia, A-N-E-M-I-A, rather than A-N-A-E-M-I-A. So all these spellings, these variant spellings that we associate with the Americans are his fault. So now I've got a quiz. I hope this comes up. Here are two words. Okay. Thrombocytopenia is a condition in which there is a deficiency of platelets from the blood. The clotting cells in the blood. And what I want you to decide is which of these two spellings is the correct English spelling. Okay? I want you to make up your mind and I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. If you think the blue spelling is the English spelling, raise your hands. Yes. Is it a trick question? <laughs> you, know I, you know I would never trick you, Richard. It's only a choice of two, for God's sake. You could toss a coin. <laughs> so who thinks the blue one is the English spelling? We have one taker here. Who thinks the yellow one is the English spelling? You all do. Well, maybe it is a trick question because actually, actually, that is the correct spelling. <laughs> and he's not English. <laughs> this is known as hypercorrection. You think that that's the American version of that. And so you correct it when you didn't need to, because that is the correct spelling. This spelling never existed. Some people spell it with an O instead of an A. That too is wrong. And as positive proof of this, here's the entry from the Oxford English Dictionary showing you that the combination form, the suffix, is penia. And it comes from the Greek penia. There's no alpha in that, or, omega, or omicron, it's penia, poverty. So penia is the correct spelling, not penia. But people do get it wrong. And so I searched for all the penias, thrombocytopenia, leukopenia, erythropenia, and so on, as many as I could think of, and this is what I found. It's not a lot, actually. It's not as many as I expected, but it's still probably the most frequent misspelling of any non-drug word in the database. That's my impression. It's as much as 0.8% of the total, whereas most of the rest are around the 0.01 mark. Trivial. And this is trivial-ish, but I don't know how many of those are reviews or systematic reviews. I haven't looked at that. But it's a sizable number. It's 800 hits that you'd save yourself from looking at if you were doing a systematic review. 
The problem with this example is that people often spell it that way and don't spell it that way. So they don't spell it correctly, they spell it wrongly to start with. And they'll miss all that stuff just by spelling it wrongly. So you have to spell it both ways and to know that there is a possible variant. But for words that are not drug names, this is unusual. <clears throat> oh, here's another. I thought, I wondered if, if, uh, Was that a quick Sorry, yeah. Does that, does that correct itself on things like, um, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I don't think it does. Yeah. As a mesh term, yeah. I'm not sure. I'd need to look at that, yeah. It's a good question. Right, so I wondered if the names of bacteria or microorganisms might be commonly misspelled. And I thought of streptococcus instead of streptococcus. And I looked for variants and I only found five. And staphylococcus, I think, very few. So this doesn't seem to be a problem. I've looked for other microorganisms and I don't find these variants. So I don't think there are problems with microorganisms. And of course we know in any case that there's no such organism as streptococcus. Oh, drat. Okay. <laughs> Put that up. I have a weekly blog, as I said before, in the BMJ. And after the paper had been published in the Christmas issue, I put up a blog drawing attention to it and discussing the problem. And what was amusing, why spelling matters, was that this chap who tweeted news of it called it why spelling mutters. <laughs> I suppose I should, have I should have expected some sort of misspelling of that kind, but it came right out of the blue. So I thought that was very funny. So, now, well, you can read the conclusions yourselves. That's my conclusion from all this. If you're doing a systematic review, you need to use misspellings as well as the correct spellings. I have put up a blog on the uh, CEBM website explaining how to do it step by step. So it tells you how to generate the misspellings. It's all in the blog on the CEBM website. And that's my Twitter feed in case you want to get in touch. That's it.